reading of the word this morning will be from 1 John chapter 3. I see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that they do not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has thus hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared and ordered to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seeds abide in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God and is one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was a evil, the one who murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and knows that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whoever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, it is our heart does not condemn us. We have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in his name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps this commandment abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit he has given us. Thank you, Tom. 
So today what we are looking at, uh, as Tom read chapter 3 for us, is uh, really the theme is how, how we have become children of God and how we are, are known as children of God. So how we, how we have become children of God and then how we're known as children of God. And so in the context of childhood and parenting, for some of you that's relevant, what I want to do for you just to kind of create some context is uh, this morning is to show you a, a picture of my son um, really quick. Do you notice a little bit of a resemblance there? Um, it's evident that he is my son and as he grows up, what, what I want to teach him to say, this is, this is the son of David, is to really communicate, here's what it looks like to be a man. Here's what it looks like to be a lawler. I remember when I was a kid, some of my family, I'd seen just kind of some family dynamics that I was not appreciative of, and I didn't want to be a lawler. In fact, I, I wanted my, my parents to help me find legal counsel to change my name to my, my mom's maiden name, because there, that was a lot of fishermen and hard workers. Um, the name Lawler wasn't something that was known as kind of a legacy kind of name. Uh, kind of what I saw of some other men was some kind of lazy men. And my dad was a very good man, man of God, but his, his siblings were not. And that just kind of made me go, I don't want to be a lawler. Um, and so that from that point, I just kind of determined, no, no, instead, this is at, at like age eight. So bear with me uh, of this thinking. I'm going to set before me to the best of my human ability, a legacy that really leaves this name well. And so as I raise my son... I want him to follow in those footsteps. As I say, here's what it means to be a child of mine. And so really this morning, that's kind of the example we have. Let's take that down so that everyone isn't remaining distracted. But it's a fact of life as we look at parenting and fatherhood in this, that a life of a child really is to reflect their biological fathers. That's, that's natural, as you can see in that photo. Micah looks a lot like me. And this is also a, a spiritual reality. It's not just a physical reality, but it's a spiritual reality. And the Bible teaches us of what Tom read earlier is that spiritually we have one of two fathers. We have one of two fathers that we're either children of God and we are the children of the only true God, the God of the Bible, the God that we read about in the Bible, or according to scripture, we're children of the devil. And, and the big difference here is the children of God live righteously and the children of the devil live rebelliously. And so there's a big difference there in how they go about their living. One's living according to righteousness, one's living according to rebellion. And so this is really how John starts out his gospel letter. Because remember, it's the same writer we're talking about of 1 John as it is of the gospel John. And in verse 12 of his first chapter, in his gospel letter, he says, To all who did receive him, who received Christ Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so it is through Christ and by Christ that we become children of God. And last week we really talked about who is Christ of who we believe in. 
that the overall theme in chapter 2 of what John is saying is here is the truth regarding Jesus Christ because there's all of these counterfeits around happening and people claiming, I'm here, I'm, I'm Jesus, I'm with Jesus. And there's a lot of context where that wasn't true. And so John in the second chapter was really saying, listen, here's who the true Jesus is and here's what it looks like to live according to him. And so as we believe in and have life in Christ, as we step into saying, okay, we're children of God, that's really the theme of what John is saying in chapter 3. Here's his theme, that we are children of God. And the fact that we are called children of God was amazing to John. So John writes this throughout his pastoral letter continually. And what we see in chapter 3 from John's writing and from his pastoral letter, it is the significance of, of what being a child of God means. So the, the incredible significance of it, what that means for us, and then the implications of how that should then affect our living. And so what, what John shares with us, if you're taking notes, write this down, is that we have become children of God by God's love for us and work in us. We have become children of God by God's love for us and his work in us. In John's gospel letter, he gives us a clear and simple understanding of what the gospel is, what the good news is. And if you grew up around church or have been in kids' ministry, you've probably heard John 3.16 before. When Jesus is talking with Nicodemus in verse 16 and 17, he says, For God so loved the world... And he didn't just kind of love the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only son... That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, one of the most incredible parts to me about these verses, that although they seem simple and we've overthought them, these are some of the most rich, doctrinally perfected words of who our God is that leads us to a, a healthy reality that, that is by the type of love that God has for us that we live according to. So it's not just any old kind of love, but it's that God has loved us before we ever thought of loving him. That he loved us so perfectly. He loved us so much first before we ever thought of that. And Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still segregated from God, he sent Christ to die for us. So while we were still at odds with God, he said, I love you so much. I'm going to be in pursuit of you. And see, being a parent has really just not, not so much, I would say, altered my view, but given me a healthy understanding of God's love of who God is, because as I have gotten to experience about eight months now of fatherhood, what I've gotten to see is how God loves us. That even before my son has done anything, I just love him. I mean, I was with a group of pastors a couple months ago, and I said, I love you guys, but I don't long to be with you. Um, if I could bail, I would, and I'd go back home with my son. Just perspective. I, 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 loved, I, I love him greatly, and, and he, hasn't, he hasn't done anything to, to give back to that. 
I mean, he's cute. Let, let's be honest. You know, that's why I showed you the photo because hook, line, and sinker, you're in because he's cute. And, and that's why we bring him a lot of places because um, it, <laughs> but also because we have to. Um, but catch this, this important piece that before he's done anything, I already love him. Before he's, he, he's added anything to our, to our family, I want to give him everything of what it means to be in the family. And that's an incredible truth of who our God is. And so my son hasn't really contributed in any way rather than making the garbage full of diapers, toys everywhere. And sometimes at, at where that may feel for us is, to, is kind of an inconvenience. So he doesn't help clean. He doesn't help cook. And, and he doesn't even communicate all that well. But, but sometimes as I teach, you may hear him try to communicate with me. Luckily, he's asleep right now. But, but you'll hear him at different moments, and, and, and he doesn't really add much. But that's not why I love him. And, and so I, I think this is the, the important truth of, that we have become children of God because of his love for us, not because of all the things we can do. And when we receive that love, he begins a work in us. That where God begins his work in us, what I have learned is this, is this is where he starts with us. And this is where we begin with God. It's a way better place than going, man, I need to do all this work. I need to do all these things. And then God's going to love me. That's a really miserable place to begin in our relationship with God. But what he does is he said, I love you. And I want to do a work in you. For you to be a child of mine. That, that in knowing and experiencing the Father's love for me, what it does is it moves me towards a deeper relationship with him where we're out of love, not out of works, not out of, not out of control, but out of love. He points me towards maturity in Christ. And so that's, that's what I'll do with my son as he grows up. Here's what it looks like to live according to this family. Here's the value of what we set on life. Here's how we live. Here's what we do and we don't do, but not out of control, out of love. Because it isn't love me or else. Jesus shows us the Father's love that it's pursue me as I have continually pursued you. Pursue me. Be in pursuit of me before. Understand here, I've been in pursuit of you. I mean, one of the most incredible examples of this is when, the Israel, is when the Israelites are set free. And then they're given the law to live according to. It's not the opposite. Moses isn't given the Ten Commandments. He's not given all the laws. He's not given the clarity. God says, go get my people because I love them. Set them free so then they can live free. So what we see from God is this constant pursuit that he loves us and desires to do a work in us as his kid. And so our example then is living according to Christ. And living in Christ and loving like Christ, as we've said before over this series, is that they go hand in hand. And we are known as children of God by our love for one another. If you're taking notes, write that down. We are known as children of God by our love for one another. And John makes it very clear in this chapter, in this third chapter that Tom read for us, that the life of a follower of Christ, I want you to catch this, church, the life of a follower of Christ looks radically different than that of someone who lives according to the world. 
Someone who lives according to Christ, their life looks radically different than someone who lives according to the world. Because those who live according to Christ are being changed and transformed by the love of their heavenly father. That's what perfect love does. It casts out fear. It moves us in a direction of being changed and transformed. So as we're being continually changed, continually transformed by God, we love one another according to the standard, not that we set, so not by us, but the standard set by Jesus. That's how we love others. That's how we see others. That's how we respond in this world. It's through Jesus' eyes. It's through his work. It's not through ours. But here's what we need to understand is that a heart transformed by the love of God that's being changed by the love of God isn't managed on being predominantly good. So, so I really want you to understand this piece because if we're going to live according to Christ, it's not about managing our sin, right? That's what John really says in chapter 3. So, so we don't make a practice of sinning and trying to manage that life. We're abandoning it for life in Christ. And so we're not trying to manage being predominantly good. We're, we are trying to be in pursuit of Christ. And we receive grace in that pursuit. Because here's the problem. When we see ourselves as predominantly good, as we, if we see ourselves as I'm doing okay, I've, I've got everything together, my finances aren't in, in a struggle, but theirs are. I, I'm not at a point of struggling with that addiction, but they are. If that is our view, then what we demand from others is being predominantly good. See, the problem with that is then, then we're just trying to look at one another based on how, how well they're doing in their management of sin. And we really judge them based on the success of that. But when we see ourselves in need of grace, and let me clarify for you, we are in need of grace, then what we're extending then is grace. And we're demanding nothing. We're extending grace and we're sharing truth and we're saying this is what we're called according to you. And so it's all about love. It's all about love. Not, not a Hollywood hot pink kind of love, but a true, genuine love that we see in the life of Christ. Because really what we've done is we've kind of hijacked the concept of love for the subject of weddings and relationships. I mean, one of the most common weddings, whether it's, whether it's two people who follow Jesus or just grew up half in the church, half in the world, and, and you go to a wedding and, and the minister or whoever says, the couple has decided to read from 1 Corinthians 13. Nine times out of ten, the couple has not chosen that. The pastor just suggested that. And so what we've done is we've kind of just hijacked these verses, but the truth is, the reality is... The subject of love is really the antidote for a dying church, for a dying world, because God so loved the world. That's, that's the love not that the world offers. That's the love that only God can offer. And so it's all about love. And so what John tells his readers and what he tells us in, in verse 18 of chapter 3 is he says, Let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. What John does is he drives home to the church that this kind of love, of which we've seen from Jesus, is not a concept, it's an action. And so if we're going to love one another according to how Christ has loved us, if we're going to live as children of God, then what we need to do is put this kind of love into action. 
We can't just say we love others. We have to actually love them. We have to put it into action. And you've probably heard the the phrase, actions speak louder than words. Have you heard that before? I think as followers of Christ, in in the context of what John is saying, I I think what really is important for us to consider consider is the statement, your lifestyle speaks louder than your status. Your lifestyle speaks louder than your status. So how are you actually living 24-7? Not just the status of how you make everybody else think you live, whether that be your, your church position, your, your title, your hopeful title, that how, how you look on Facebook, because there's a lot of people that post a lot of verses that know nothing of the word of God. There's a, there's a lot of people that, that do things according to status, not according to to a lifestyle lived in Christ. So how are you living among others? Are you loving one another through action? Not just in word and talk, as John says, but in, in deed and in truth. How are you loving one another? This is how we are known as children of God. And John tells us, third and final, that we are known as children of God by our belief and our life in Christ. We are known as children of God by our belief and our life in Christ. Then in order to love one another and to love Jesus, to love like Jesus, to be in love with Jesus, we have to choose belief in Christ. So as we talked earlier this year, we can't just be fans of Jesus, just kind of hanging out with him when it's convenient. We have to be in pursuit of relationship with him. We have to believe in him, the work that he's done on the cross, and we have to begin to live in Christ. Not just live in concepts of Christ, but there's the action piece, live in Christ. Because when we choose to surrender and confess our old life, Christ enters our life, making it new. And what can begin to shape and mold us is Christ is Jesus Christ. And so what we need more than anything, if we're going to live as children of God, if we're going to live according to loving one another, what we really need is Jesus. More than anything else, we need Jesus. Because the only resolve for our sin, the only life worth living is in Jesus. And so what Paul tells the Romans, he says, listen, here's how you choose to believe. Here's how you choose to follow. In Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in verse 10, he says, for with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. And so today, if you've never chosen to follow Jesus, if you want to choose to follow Jesus, confess with your mouth. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again. I believe, and I want to choose to follow him. Through that, the word tells us that we are saved. We are saved. And so receiving Jesus means that when Jesus offers himself to you, as he does, it means we're surrendering ourselves to take up the life in Christ. So just so we can have no inch uh, or any wiggle room of pride in this space, let me clarify some things for you of what it means to follow Jesus. That as he comes to you as leader, you surrender your leadership. 
you surrender your leadership. As he comes to you as counselor, you welcome his counsel. As he comes to you as authority, you welcome his authority. And as he comes to you as king, you welcome his rule. Because a life in Christ, when we choose to live according to Christ, to believe and to live in Christ, there's no room for us to try to play God. And I've said it before, we make crummy gods, but for whatever reason, we try to do this for, for whatever reason, whether momentary or long-term, we, we just have the idea that our way is better. But God desires the teachable spirit. He desires the person that would say, I'm gonna live according to Christ. Not my way, but your way. Not my will, but yours be done. Because those that follow Jesus surrender themselves to him They take up their cross daily and they follow him. And so receiving Jesus isn't a coexistence of of your own life and life in Christ. It's the daily renewal and laying down of your own ways for his. And Paul reminds the church in Galatia in chapter two, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is how we are known as children of God, of how we love one another, of how we believe and and live our life in Christ. And so as we see in God's love, it's by his love, by his work in us that we can become children of God. So by the example set by God, by his pursuit of us, we become children. No longer children of the world, no longer children of the devil, as John says, but children of God. So then by that, as we live according to God's family, as God's kids, we're called to go. Called to go and love one another, not as a concept, but as an action. And as we love one another, that we live according to Christ. Because it is all about Christ Jesus. Let's pray.